0: Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This time we are
1: listening to an episode of my choosing, The Devil's Workshop from Inner Sanctum Mystery. The iconic series was created by Hyman Brown, one of the great storytellers of the golden age of radio. Brown's career spanned eight decades in a diverse range of genres, from his adaptation of comic strip hero Dick Tracy to his 1970s revival of radio drama, the CBS Radio Mystery Theater.
0: Despite his many contributions to the medium, Brown is
1: best remembered for one series, Inner
0: Sanctum Mystery. The Devil's Workshop was written by John Robert, who won an Edgar Allan Poe Award in 1949 for his work as a writer on Inner Sanctum. Robert also authored many novels, mostly of the hard boiled crime variety, and occasionally wrote some non fiction on the topic of crime and criminals. In 1959, a book titled The Earthquake was published, co authored by Robert and comedian Milton Burl. The story is set in a small Mexican village beset by an earthquake. And not at all a comedy. Inner Sanctum Mystery
2: borrowed its name from a line of mystery novels published by Simon and Schuster, but rarely used the novels as source material. Instead, the radio series developed its own style of over-the-top storytelling, fueled by improbable situations, shameless plot twists, and a liberal dose of dark humor. In a recent Vox article, film and television critic Charles Bramesco argues that Inner Sanctum still makes for great listening 65 years after its final broadcast. According to Bramesco, Inner Sanctum transports listeners to a horror paradigm governed by the notion that being
1: scared should be kind of fun, And kind of silly. So let us prepare to be transported into The Devil's Workshop from Inner Sanctum Mystery, first broadcast on October
0: 10th, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: Good evening, friends. This is your host to welcome you through the creaking door into the inner sanctum. Come in, come in. Well, I had my musical bonnet on last night. Went looking for the lost cord. And I found it. Some Joker was wearing it as a necklace. I had to cut him loose from a ceiling beam to get the cord. <laughs> sang sentimental songs. Everyone was so touched in the head. One gay blade got so hysterical he fell on himself. Ran himself through. There he lay, dead but no blood. The zombie. (laughs) The party broke up when everybody broke down. Ah, yes. A little life of an evening can be deadly. (laughs) Tonight's inner
4: sanctum mystery, The Devil's Workshop, was written by John Robert and stars
3: Mason Adams in the role of Tony with Joan Banks as Tina. Tonight's story was specially devised to get you used to the coming winter chill. Just try to shrug it off, I dare you. Our hero is Tony Murillo, creator of The Devil's Workshop. A talented young man with a genius for evil. The Devil's Workshop. I created it
4: and I live in it living with me is every murderer who ever amounted to anything. Hatchet men, pathological killers, Bloody Mary, and the devil himself. We live in it, all of us, with one difference only. I'm flesh and blood, and they're wax. My hands made them. It's a good business. I can't keep up with the cash orders pouring in from wax museums all over the world. It's a good business, except that sometimes it gets in the way of your love life a little. Your girl wonders about you sometimes. Tony,
5: how did you ever fix on such a strange occupation?
4: Maybe because I'm strange myself. And maybe because it's my name is Murillo. Murillo? See that figure standing alongside the refrigeration room? A chubby little bald fellow with the face of an angel. Hmm? He'd shot nine men before a sheriff's posse got him. He was Cesar Murillo, my old man. And sometimes your girl Tina forgets the blood around her is make-believe and the lunatic faces of homicidal killers are only whack.
5: <laughs> Tony!
4: <laughs> Did bloody Mary just swing at you with her axe?
5: No. no. No, not Mary. It was the devil. I could swear he moved just now. Tony, look.
4: What do you want me to see? The
5: devil grinning and moving his lips. Look, Tony, I'm not crazy. No,
4: you're not crazy. He's always grinning and moving his lips.
5: Uh, always?
4: And moving around the room, always restless. Today he's behind this killer, tomorrow that killer. Or watching Hickman the butcher and always grinning and moving his lips like he was egging them on. Tony!
5: Do you know what you're saying?
4: What? Uh, uh. Forget it. Things happen to you in my kind of workshop. You turn in for the night on an iron army cut, and the shop comes alive. You're wax, and they're flesh and blood, and all of them having a time of it for themselves. With the devil dividing his time the best he can among all of them. You wake up, and there he is behind someone else for the day you wake up, but he's gone. The devil's nowhere in the workshop, as if he just upped and went on the town. (laughs) Tina?
5: Yes, Tony? What are you trying to pull? Pull? I don't understand. The
4: devil, he's nowhere in the workshop. Tony, what are you saying? But you were here during the night and carried him off. Nobody else could have gotten in.
5: Why should I steal your... your devil?
4: I reported it to the police as a theft to a Sergeant Tracy. Somebody stole your devil, you say. A wax devil. Is there another kind? You were asleep when the uh, door was locked? Yes. Any windows to the loft? Two, leading to a fire escape, but they were bolted from the inside. Well, uh, if the door and windows were locked, uh, how do you figure the robbery was worked? I don't know. Could he have... uh, Walked out? The devil, I mean. Uh, I don't know. I returned to the workshop by way of the docks. Just a door or two from the workshop, a man stopped me. A man in black. Black as if he was wearing the night around him. He wore a hood just his eyes showed like small batteries of light... Make an outcry and I'll kill you. You're going to rob me? No. Commission you. Commission me? You Tony Marillo? Yes. Where's your workshop? Two doors down. I came to you because of your genius with your hands. You want a figure? No. Just a face. A face for me. You see, I have no face. I mean, no adequate one. In the workshop, the eyes gleaming from holes in a hood turned on me. Sit down while I unmask. Sit down? It may be a shock. I'm not pretty. Every day I see things here not pretty to see. Very well, then. Look! <laughs> Where's your face? All that there is. You see. You're, you're just a skull, like death. I can breathe. But through holes. I can eat and talk. But your mouth is just a slit, no lips, and no flesh, like your face was eaten away. It was eaten away. It was how? You really want to know? I can stand it. It was a bandit somewhere in desert country. The bandit had a sense of the, uh, grotesque. He didn't like my face, he said. You want a face for me? Yes. But a wax face, what good would you... You're not... You're only to comply, not to judge. You will rebuild my face. You will model a nose, lips, and a chin. But out of wax, it's crazy. Better a surgeon. Surgery's done. I want a wax face. Tempered as firmly and durably as those dummies. But handsomer. I want to be handsome. In fact, as handsome as you. As me? Yes. Make my face in your likeness. Well, why do you keep staring? You. You could be the wax devil. You have a lively imagination. Have I? And a perverse habit of staring. Now what's running through your imagination? What I just said. You could be the wax devil. I could be wax. The wax devil disappeared this morning. All right, touch me and satisfy yourself. And let's get this over with so you can work on my face. Feel my hand. It's flesh. And blood, too, believe me. Or would you prefer experimenting with a pin? No. You still think I'm your missing devil? You're... You couldn't be, but... I got to work. I posed myself in the wall mirror and rebuilt his face in wax. A fine, straight nose and a strong chin like mine. I mixed colors into the wax to get a reddish glow to the cheeks. I made the face durable as much as my skill could. And when it was modeled into the warm mass, I kept him in the refrigerator room as long as I dared... You, now, have a face. Let me see it. Where's your mirror? Over there. Ah. A good job, Tony. I... I can breathe. And I can talk. You plan your work intelligently. Look at me. I could be you in wax. Yes, you could be me. How long can the face last? Indefinitely, if you keep the cold temperatures. Then I'll live here with you. Live here? I must. But... Where better than here? I'll have your hands at my disposal. And your refrigerator room. Besides, I want to show my gratitude by rewarding you. Rewarding me? How? By making you rich. Enormously rich. Money, jewels, treasures. Where's all that coming from?
3: From everywhere in the world.
4: From banks and from merchants and from misers. (laughs) I forgot to tell you. Not only do I not have an actual face... I haven't a conscience either. He was going to steal for me, he said. But he began by stealing from me. Tina. I'd had a date with her, but she hadn't shown up. I'd waited half the night, but she never came... The next day when she dropped into the workshop, I lambed into her. What changed your mind? Changed my mind? We had a date last night. I waited for you. You didn't show up.
5: I didn't show... Tony, you're insane. We kept our date. We what? We kept our date. And we had fun for the first time in weeks. We had fun. I... I even fell in love with you
4: all over again. What did we do? You don't remember?
5: Tony, what's the matter with you? Never
4: mind. What did we do?
5: Well, there was an open-air movie and and a drive into the country. We sang and joked and and parked in Lovers Lane. (laughs) Tony, what is it? What's come over you?
4: You were out last night, all right, Tina. But not with me. You were out joyriding with the devil. (laughs) After that first date, the devil and Tina kept palling together night after night. Dates every night. And Tina smiling like she just discovered herself, like she was having the time of her life. Even when Tina found out he was a ringer for me, she preferred him. I couldn't talk her out of it, I couldn't beat her out of it. <laughs> Tony! So I'll knock some sense into you if I have to kill you. Quit dating that... that freak.
5: You... you've no right to order He's me. He's a devil. Only in your crazy head. He's warm and real and...
4: even tender. His face is a dollar's worth of wax. Light a match to it will melt away. He
5: told me how that happened. The terrible way he was mutilated. I cried, Tony. I wasn't repelled. I... I...
4: just cried for him. You went for a gag. He invented that horror story about his
5: face. And if he did invent
4: it. he did invent it, it doesn't make
5: any difference to you. Nothing makes any difference to me.
4: Not even if he's the
5: devil. Not even then. All these days you've been telling me he's the devil. A a thing with a false face and no conscience. And while you've been telling me all that, do you know what I keep thinking, Tony? What I keep whispering to myself.
4: How do you keep thinking?
5: How exciting. How exciting to be in league and in love. With the devil. Are you surprised, Tully? <laughs> I
4: watched her laugh as if she was having a fit, moving away from me, deeper into the workshop, losing herself in a crowd of wax figures, hatchetmen, and crazy killers. I followed her with my eyes as far as I could, and suddenly, I saw her as someone else. She wasn't Tina any longer, but Mary. Bloody Mary. Tina! Tina, come back! Tina, don't go! She was down the stairs, gone, running from me. I went back into the workshop. I had to get hold of myself. I was seeing things. You seem a little unsettled, Tony. You? Yes, me. You handled Tina very clumsily. What were you spying? I couldn't help overhearing you. I was there in your refrigerator room. You've got Tina in a crazy spell. She adores me quite naturally. What do you mean, quite naturally? It's not just the tortured resemblance you and I now bear to each other that draws Tina to me. It's far more than that. I'm more her kind. I don't understand you. She told you she found me exciting. Couldn't you guess why? It was just talk to drive me crazy. To get even for the pushing around I give her. No, it was more than that. You see, you and I are superficially the same. And quite matched mentally. Neither of us can lay too, uh, too much claim to sanity. But you have one attribute that I don't possess. And it's the lack of that uh, attribute in me that attracts Tina. What haven't you got that attracts Tina? A conscience. You think I'm joking? I don't think you know Tina. On the contrary, you don't know a You see her as simple and lovely and good. In fact, you want her like that. Consequently, you repress her where I free her. Now I know you're the devil, scheming to remake Tina in your image. Am I? Did you see her before? Did you see the curious transfiguration she underwent when she dared free herself and laugh? Really laugh? Yes. Yes. She seemed to change right under my eyes. She seemed to change into what? An older face, wild and crazy and gloating. Like... Like... Bloody Mary waving her axe. Bloody Mary back there with the wax figures. Like Bloody Mary. (laughs) That night I crept along after them, the devil and Tina, as an observer along the harbor front where ghosts of ships float into blackness to a small park in the fancy east end where tired men sit on benches and dream into the river. I watched them work as a team, Tina and the devil, smoothly, every move coordinated as if they were both powered by one instinct. The sitter got up to go and then he screamed suddenly and struggled. The devil had his arms in a vice as Tina swung the axe. I'd been wrong about Tina The devil was right Her face looking down at a victim Was the face of a maddened killer The face of Bloody Mary The devil had promised to reward me by making me rich He hadn't forgotten For you, Tony A small down payment on my gratitude for this face A man's wedding band It's not much, but the wretch had little worth stealing. Only a watch, a few paltry dollars, and this ring. The money goes to Tina. I will keep the watch. I don't want the ring. But you must take it. It brings the three of us closer and ensures two of us against notions you may entertain about the police. (laughs) It also suggests another way that you will eventually become a problem to me. How will I become a problem? You took the wedding band reluctantly just now. But soon you'll become bolder, greedier. Soon you'll want more. Soon you'll demand Tina, too. You'll try to recapture her from me. I want no part of Tina. I do. Tina. Yes? I never want to lose you to Tony.
5: I don't think you ever will.
4: Will you marry me then right away? Tina, no. Whatever you've done but not that, you... You can't marry the devil. But I can, Tony, I can and I will. Tina did. And I watched. And do you, Tina, take this this man to be your lawfully wedded husband?
5: I
3: do.
4: Please place the ring on her finger. Rings? I forgot about the rings. Tony, yes. The wedding band you acquired earlier. May I borrow it for the bride? Yes, I have it here in my pocket. It was a beautiful ceremony. You don't think so, Tony? It was a nightmare. You're bad company for honeymooners. Drop us in the nearest motor court and then be on your way. Be on my way? Yes. We'll manage without you. Nicely. I dropped him at a motor court, but I didn't go on my way much. I pulled the car to his side, shut the lights, and I tried to think. I tried to corner my brain and force one idea, to it. One idea. The devil could have Tina, but he couldn't wear my face. I thought about that, and the idea grew. His power over me was my face. I was mixed up about everything crazy as all get-out, but this one idea was the clearest thing I understood. The devil couldn't wear my face any longer. Not if I wanted to hold on to the only thing I had. A conscience. I crept into their cabin very noiselessly. Tina had dropped off in a chair. He was on a bed, breathing heavily. I lit a torch I'd made of paper and twigs. With my knee in the pit of his stomach and one hand like a steel vice on his throat, I held the blazing torch to uh, his face. He awakened, but lay helpless, making whimpering sounds. I watched first his chin up and then his cheeks, and then little hot rivers of wax run down him on him and on me. Tina! <laughs>
5: Stop, stop. Look, Tina, look behind his face. Stop look it. at your brain
4: guru. Let's it. Stop go of You'll burn too. You'll burn too. Stop. Tina, fire. Stop Tina, let's go. Stop. Freddy will be burned to a tree. I escaped. I rolled in the dirt outside to stop the flames on my clothes. Tina, did... When she saw the flames were too much, that it was too late to save him, she flung herself across him on his funeral pyre. The last thing in my ears as the cabin began to fall was... was her scream. I'm back in the devil's workshop now. Winding everything up. Making plans to junk everything here for keeps. Sergeant Tracy is here with me. Trying to make sense out of what he checked of my story. I had a whole group of specialists go through the rubble of that cabin that burned to the ground. I started the fire. I destroyed his face and Tina Ford with me. Yeah, oh, no. You told us that already. There uh, weren't two corpses in the rubble, Tony. Just a lot of wax Wax over everything The devil? Was undoubtedly that wax figure you reported missing But Tina We're checking over your workshop just now I find another figure in your inventory missing Another figure? Bloody Mary Bloody Mary is missing See for yourself I didn't know exactly what you did the other night in acting out your hallucination, but there's no doubt in my mind that the two people who were burned in that fire was a wax devil and a bloody Mary. A man was axed to death and robbed in the park on the East End, you said. That murder never took place, Tony. I'm as crazy as that. Well. Let's just say you took that weird business you're in a little seriously. Now, that uh, just about explains everything, more or less. Or does it? Or does it? There's uh, one big question mark we're trying to slough off at the department because if we don't, we'll all start looking under our beds tonight. One big question, Sergeant. We went through the rubble of that cabin with a fine comb. All we found, as I said, was wax and uh, this. This, a wedding band. A man's wedding band.
3: <laughs> I hear there's a sign outside a certain workshop that reads for sale, owner gone off permanently. You can buy in cheap anybody. A small down payment, a wax dollar, say, with your mind a security for the balance of your sanity. <laughs> So the blazing lover's triangle finally boiled down to just Tony. Imagine all that wax and no candle wake. <laughs> As a close friend of mine remarked to his keeper, make a rental service out of your face and you're liable to get it in the neck. <laughs>
4: over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, and has been rebroadcast for servicemen and women overseas. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.
0: That was the Devil's Workshop from Inner Sanctum here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Tim, that was your pick. Why? Uh, A bazillion years ago, when we first started doing this podcast, we
1: listened to an episode of Inner Sanctum called A Corpse for Halloween. And I loved it to bits. I really, really did. And I've kept ever since then, like, I want to hear another episode kind of like that. And so it finally dawned on me to figure out who wrote it and find another episode written by that guy, John Robert. So this is that episode written by that guy that is that same kind of weird I loved.
0: Uh, John Robert wrote more than this for Inner Sanctum, than these two? He was head writer for a little while, I believe. So there's a bunch to choose from. Yeah, several. So did you listen to several or just this one and go, there it is? I listened to several. And why this one over the others? This was the most
1: of that weird kind of
0: (laughs) pseudo-logic nightmare experience. It really is like... Moving through a morphing nightmare where things are changing and you don't know quite why.
1: That is one of the things I like about it is that it actively stops you from trying to figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah, I
2: took all these notes, not because I was writing down these brilliant insights. I just had to keep writing down every turn of the story. I was like, I'm never going to remember this. <laughs> it's like just relentless in its plot twists. Yep, and yeah. you never know what's going to happen next. Like I kept thinking it was going to be one story and then two lines later, not like <laughs> five minutes later, I was like, no, it's this story. No, is it this story? What's going on? But to me, it sets the expectations, I think, correctly for what it's going to do very early. It's not like how we sometimes described uh, dark fantasy where it's this Carefully set up first 15 minutes that gives you all this time to expect something and then just tears the rug out from under you. This just lets you know that there's never going to be a rug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's not just nonsense, it's very carefully crafted
0: chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will give you that. Okay. So, um, guy makes wax dummies, so to speak, uh, dolls, uh, statuettes, uh, in his shop. Full of. size because he sells them to wax museums around Thank you. the globe. Yep. Okay. So they're full size. Yeah, that helps, and that's what he does. He makes that's his of, job. of devils. He oh. has made a figure of a devil, of of horror creatures or real life murderers and stuff like that. Right. I took it primarily. He does murderers,
1: and then he also in the workshop had a devil. there was a devil.
0: Thank you. Not that I didn't catch all that. I just want to make sure I got it right. Because, you know, sometimes I say stuff in this podcast and it's stupid because... And so, well, and as Josh was saying, that's at a certain point in the story, this was true. Right. <laughs> so that's how it begins. And one of them's missing. I'm doing this on purpose because there's so many plot twists to this that I think mm-hmm. it's fun to just try to, to hit all of them. And one of the figures that he made was a replica
1: of his father. Huh. I missed that. Who was a
2: murderer? Which again, that's a and thing. It just where, zips by because I thought, oh, I'm, so that's the story. This is I about.
0: missed that. Yeah, totally missed that. I thought, so so the one's missing, and he goes and tells the police, and then the guy shows up and says, "Give me a face." Yeah, and then he's then we realize, oh, that's the wax guy you made is come to life. That's right, the, the, or is yeah. it actually the devil? And
1: he is teasing his girlfriend for thinking, like, ah, to come alive. Uh, But the devil, oh, yeah, the devil, that one does come alive. That one
2: talks. Right,
0: right.
1: Yeah, he makes fun of her
2: for being frightened of uh, Bloody Mary and laughs and laughs. But then he's like, but seriously, look out for the devil.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So what are we led to believe? That he's a little nuts, or is he still giving her grief in that moment? By the end, there's no guarantee that she existed. God right there's that all of this could be in his head all of it
1: yeah the only thing they give you is that at some point he got an engagement ring and he lit a room on fire and the engagement ring was in it
0: that's kind of all they give you is yeah by the end is being true i will say that the thing that brings me the most satisfaction the concept is that it was all of it is made up in his head all of it like he yes he makes figures but i think he's nuts there's no woman there's no guy there's no any of it that helps me uh like this i think it's about the only way you can
2: interpret it good or there was a tina and a lot of what he describes about her and her behavior is not true and she was just dating another guy and he murdered them all, but they never find bodies or that she bodies. just
1: left at some point to yeah. like yeah you're weird bye and he continued to have this fantastical idea of who she was and what was happening. Which could make some... she did drastically
2: change character at a certain point. Because... After she started dating the devil. Yes, but even that wasn't consistent. Because at first, she proclaimed, I'm dating the devil because he's so much fun fun and I'm yeah. more in love with him than I've ever been and I feel for him and it was all this sort of emotion and then a couple lines later it was no I love him because he has no conscience and I'm a killer yep. too and so you can read it I think as each time he imagines something that he doesn't like he will readjust it yeah. he's his own unreliable yeah. narrator
0: let's not forget also the first thing she says is no I went on a date with you Mhm before admitting I knew it wasn't you. Yeah. It's got that dreamlike quality to it that once you hang on to something that okay this is where we are like something shifts. I like the the theme of the title being the devil's workshop that this is the story is
1: a place where we make things sinister and weird and evil. And
2: there's also a maybe slightly Deeper spin you can give on this because they do take the time to say he's made a wax figure of his father, who was a famous murderer, and this idea that he is projecting all of the darkness he thinks he has inherited into these wax figures he has made a devil figure that he has given his face and the devil commits all the crimes it has all the terrible thoughts and is the one without the conscience not him um and these uh, are almost like action figures that he's playing out these scenarios with um whether tina's real or not and uh i thought it was funny that was it ended up being Tony and Tina and Devil's know. Wedding. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. I did that show for 10 years. See? You did it for a year. A couple of years, yeah. yeah, yeah. On and did on. you? You did other. I uh, did Flanagan's Wake. Yes. Um, Which. Almost the same damn thing, just different accents.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If (laughs) listeners aren't familiar with these shows, these are interactive theater shows that were very popular in the uh, early 2000s. Especially in the
0: Twin Cities. They did very well and put roofs over our heads. (laughs) We all made good money. It's interesting to discuss this because I don't know what to discuss. Because, yes, there are points in it, I guess, but... Overall, to me, it's just one giant thought. Wow, that was a fun ride of stuff that just kept happening. And the, that's like my whole take from this. The stuff that was that struck me as so interesting about this was
1: almost every handle you can get on this, it deliberately removes it. Like at the start, like it's just in his imagination, except she saw the devil too. And then by the end... Everything didn't happen. There was no murder. There were no figures, except there was a ring. Well, then where did the ring come from? And there was no murder because... Yeah, it's not like he because was crazy committed the murder. Earlier, It
2: the devil with his face says this was booty from a murder. Yeah. Right, that they were splitting uh between them. And that's another point at which you think, oh, is that where the story's going? Like, all of them are going to turn on each other. Yes. Yeah. Here's a question. It's... Is Slippery co- like melting wax. Yes.
0: Mm, a study in melting wax. <laughs> is the cop real? I would say the cop is
2: real for just the structure of inner sanctum to work. There has to be one outside authority figure to you plant your flag of truth so that you can even question anything. Because if he's not weird? real, there's nothing even to question. Like there's nothing to compare the
1: insanity to. You, you've got to have someone who is and real. Is and I think we're supposed so meticulous to believe ridiculous in casting doubt on everything that anything that it doesn't cast out on you have to assume like, okay, they made no attempt to make you doubt the cop. Right. Unlike almost everything else. In the Except story. the cop is weird too. The cop is weird too. I love
2: when he's like, and so I went to the cop and reported my devil statue. <laughs> right. And the cop's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sure they get far
1: weirder. Visitors than that guy. Well, it wasn't. Or yeah, so like, I also I got the, it's the f- wax. It's like,
0: are there other kinds of devils you have? <laughs> I got the feeling, based on nothing other than the read by the actor, that. This man has made appearances at the station many times before, <laughs> mm-hmm. and this cop knows him. And I have nothing to base that on, nothing. But that was the overall sense that I got that, like, okay, now what's missing? <laughs> Did anybody else feel that vibe? I There's a know. number
1: of odd readings. I
0: mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> like a dark deal you make with the devil, right? Now I gave you my face, and now I'm going to make you wealthy. Uh, but the devil sort of doesn't really follow through on that. He's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave you I my you
1: ring and I need that right back. from Yes. You. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so that <laughs> didn't go where I thought it would go. And I wasn't sure if um, maybe there was some literary or folkloric illusion in the devil's very strange story about how he lost his face that uh, was somehow
0: lost on me. I got the sense that he was saying he was shot in the face. He said a bandit stole his face. There was it's something to so the bandit. I don't, I don't remember. something about it that made me think, oh, he was shot in the desert in the face.
2: Uh, I listened a couple times, and it's intentionally cryptic. Or that was my other question: Is it an allusion to something? So they just assumed the listener would fill
0: the rest in. But I, Maybe I couldn't I come up with anything.
1: No, I didn't recognize specific.
0: I took that it meant that he fell into a vat of acid, and now he has a permanent grin.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And amidst all this insanity, there are uh, some really nice passages of writing. Uh, One stood out to me when he's describing um, the location where the devil and tina go for their romantic date to kill people (laughs) where he says along the harbor front where ghosts of ships float into blackness to a small park in the fancy east and where tired men sit on benches and dream into the river like it's suddenly like that's a nice little poetic moment that also supports the surrealness yeah of the actual story itself dreaming into the river i -hmm. think he's dreaming into the wax Wax. And at the same time, it's so ridiculous that there's also a certain level of just laugh-out-loud comedy joy, right? Uh, when he's describing his job, and then he sells these wax figures, and then he's like, "And sometimes it can really interfere with <laughs> your love life." And <laughs> right. I was like, "I'm gonna buckle up. This is gonna be fun. <laughs>
1: I really, I should have grabbed the actor's name, but the guy who played the uh, the devil figure, the super creepy performance. Yeah. She Mason can. Adams. I That's thought Mason right. Adams was the lead.
2: You're talking about the devil. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Mason Adams was the main character because I recognize that voice. It's the
1: evil smuckers guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Lou Grant's evil boss. <laughs> yeah, he was in, uh, as I was going through listening to several of these that uh, John Robert, uh, he was in a lot of Inter Sanctum.
0: Mason? Yes.
1: Yeah. Also was in a lot
0: of CBS, CBS Radio, Radio Mystery, Mystery Theater. Theater. Yep. A lot mm-hmm. like every other week like, right too much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> him and uh herman munster fred uh, gwynn yeah fred gwynn thank you they're in a lot
2: um and i appreciated that mason adams could sustain that level of crazy because he when, when i first started listening i'm like yeah he's starting at like 110 percent crazy <laughs> yes. I, and, and i'm like does he have anywhere to go <laughs> right nope he kept it sustained. He just stayed right at that level of like, uh, the whole time. Just yeah. crazy.
0: Which is, as actors, we we're taught not to do. Escalate, escalate. Have somewhere to go, right? Until, until breaking point. I thought it was pretty well done to just stay at breaking point the entire yeah, time. Yeah, it's <laughs> like the, yeah, we enter at breaking point. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the puns. Um, no. Oh, God, they were great, though. In, in a terrible way. Some of them, again, not puns. I, I think you're being yes. generous on some of them. There's one that is hands
2: down, uh, if nothing else, this is a classic for this pun because there is this allusion to a poem in that first pun that is actually, for a pun, quite complicated and involves actual unpacking. Say it the on us. Say it. I'm ready. There's the, the one about he There's puts on his musical bonnet, bonnet and he was a looking for his cord. lost chord yes. and he finds the guy hanging by it from the ceiling rafters. Um, But The Lost Chord is a poem by Adelaide Proctor. And it's an expression, or you may have heard it, it's an obscure illusion, but in other movies or TV shows or books, for this this moment in the poem, uh, a woman is just absentmindedly playing on the keys of an organ. And she hits this incredible chord that transports her and she has this majestic religious experience and then she can never find that chord again it, it's the lost chord and she thinks that maybe she'll hear it again one day when she dies and so that lost chord is <laughs> what he uses to Dang hang himself,
1: himself. <laughs> thus finding the lost chord oh, in death
3: wow yeah. there's a
1: lyric in the uh Song Hallelujah that I I associated with that. I don't know. They are from the same uh, and
3: source. And perhaps,
1: yes, the Lost
2: Court
0: is a reference further back than the poem by uh Proctor. My wow wasn't that's interesting. My wow was, wow, how do you know all that? Did that just enter your head, or did you do research?
2: I knew the expression, the yeah. Lost
0: chord Yeah, that's and crazy.
2: So
1: that's I crazy you know too curious, much. I like was that hoping that you were going to uh, unpack Musical bonnet for me—that <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's just the bonnet you put on when you're going to play some music.
2: Sure, yeah. it's for safety. It's like a helmet. <laughs> you know, this is that generation. They can't yeah. got to ride bike helmets and. And, organ helmets organ <laughs> although
0: guys. in inner sanctum you should organ, probably wear an organ helmet an organ helmet is don't google that well, you wear those
2: you wear those in football right <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah that okay i wish we would have called them organ helmets instead of nut cups <laughs> i'm putting on my organ helmet <laughs> billy uh, i'm sorry about you getting beat up right now, but I'm <laughs> going to help. You're cut. You're cut. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts or should we vote? I'm happy to I have vote. vote. Hey, I'll start this week. I'll tell you this. Uh, I really enjoyed this. That was really fun. I didn't care. I didn't need to know what was going on all the time. It was just a lot of action and screaming and morphing and weirdness, and it was scary, and I thought the performances were awesome. I think it actually stands the test of time. I won't call it a classic, but I will say that was uh, an enjoyable piece of horror theater. Yeah, I
1: I agree with that. This 100% scratched the itch I was feeling of, like, I want to hear another episode like Corpse for Halloween that's just weird and freaky and nightmarish. And this was. Um, I would not call this a classic. Uh, it's personally, to my taste, my favorite of things. But it is. it's not just art school, student, weird. It's really well-put-together weird. I feel bad that we did not address... Whatever novel the earthquake is, with written by him and Milton Burle, <laughs> it's like, going on my reading list. Though, <laughs> what can that book be? That there was like a little snippet of these various characters, a sort of anthology thing of them all coming together in this little Mexican town, and then earthquake, Milton Burle. So I'm very curious. <laughs> Thank you for reading that so you can uh, uh, synopsize it for me. Um, so yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Get on that, Joshua. Let us know what that's about. It's the test of time. Um, Yeah, this was
2: just over-the-top, boisterous fun. It's Inner Sanctum. So uh, this style, like you, Tim, I love. Um, it's so ridiculous. It's never really suspenseful, but it's so ridiculous that it is never for a second Boring. Well, I take it back. It is suspenseful in this different way, where you 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 are in the most literal way. Like, what the hell is going to happen? Yeah. Next? Am I ever going to land? Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I would think say it was it's, very suspenseful. It's more disorienting, yeah. uh, than suspenseful, but in a really fun way because it's not like you invest in any of the characters because they're not real enough. So you're just invested in what happens next, <laughs> and I think the story just twists and twists and twists until it in a very intentional way like the character themselves, just kind of collapses under its own madness <laughs> <laughs> right and, and, and you're right just in our discussion i realize there's more here than i initially even thought on my first listen so i think it is complex maybe too strong but uh, there's more going on in this weirdness uh than i even thought at first i think um particularly because I had forgotten about the wax figure of his dad. And for some reason, <laughs> I, I think in some weird Freudian way, that's the key to unlocking the story. But maybe not. But uh, I definitely think it stands the test of time in that I think it is a expressionist fever dream now. And it was in 1949. And I think you are just supposed to listen to it with that same sardonic grin that the host
1: has. Not along knowingly. To my personal taste, I one of the things I like about this is that you don't get this kind of scary story anymore? That no, these days it's so often just jump scares. Uh, back <laughs> in my day, weird um,
0: man shaking fist at jump scares. Yes, um, get off I my really... lawn, jump scares. <laughs> 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 Darn it! <laughs> uh, which I don't mean to be dismissive, because there's some awesome horror these days. But I really like this variety. Yeah, this is a fantastic episode of fun, and I love it. But I want to say this, that I think the ookiest part of this whole thing was when I was imagining, before I knew more about what was going on, at the beginning that Tina was making out with wax face. (laughs) I was totally like, he put on a strangely thick coat of lip balm. Right? Like, if you kiss that face too hard, you might mush it into another shape.
2: Yeah. I mean, he must have uh, really spent an extra hour or two in the refrigeration room before <laughs> necking. As yeah. Kind of preparation for it. Like, you've uh, never kissed a person before, have you? <laughs> is this always what it's like? <laughs> we didn't even talk about, though, the strange horror of burning off the wax face oh even though it's not flesh it's wax that should yeah. have been as
1: horrific as it was but and melting it on his, his own ride. skin yeah ah, yes yeah nasty well, now we just did. Yeah. Good for us. Yeah. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. We have many other episodes there. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think of these episodes. Leave comments. Respond to other people who commented. Respond to other people who commented responses to your comments. It goes on and on. Okay. You can send us like messages. MC Escher drawings. <laughs> so complicated.
0: Fractal commenting. <laughs> Uh, I'm commenting upside down on a staircase. <laughs> you can.
1: Link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store and buy some swag. You can also link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash
2: themorals and become a patron today. What are you waiting for? Support this podcast. Our patrons are what makes this podcast possible as well as recording technology and the internet. But your financial support also helps make it possible, and you will get all sorts of great benefits. Um, perhaps even in the near future, you will receive a book report from me on the earthquake by this guy in Miltonboro, <laughs> but only for
0: patrons. And if you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Group, we do audio theater live on stage, recreations of old-time classic shows, and a lot of our own original work. We perform monthly somewhere and have been for many years. If you'd like to see a Performance by us of Radio Drama. You can see uh, what we're performing this month and where we're performing by going to com, or even uh, quicker, ghoulishdelights.com. Just go there, ghoulishdelights.com, and there you will see what and where we're performing. If you can't make it in person... Uh, No big deal, because if you're a Patreon, uh, we film them, and you get that as part of your Patreon package to watch our live shows. So if you're like, oh, I'd really like to see that, but I live in uh, the Netherlands. I don't know. Whoa. (laughs) Why did that? Netherlands. Yeah. You just become a Patreon, and then you get that. Hey, what's coming up next? Next is your pick, Eric. Ah, that's what I thought. All right. We are going to listen to an episode of Sears Radio Theater called Milwaukee Deep. Until then...
3: Look out!
2: Good evening, friends. This is your mysterious old co-host here to open the creaking pun for just a little more unpacking. To answer Tim's question about the song Hallelujah, the lyrics refer to a secret chord not a lost one, which is a biblical allusion to the musicianship of David. That being said, Leonard Cohen was a smart guy and given the religious theme of the poem, he may have intended the secret chord to echo the lost chord. If nothing else, he was undoubtedly familiar with the significant role Adelaide Proctor's poem played in musical history. In 1887, the lost chord was put to music by none other than Arthur Sullivan of Gilbert and Sullivan fame. The song was a hit, and in 1888, it was etched onto a phonograph cylinder, making it the oldest musical recording known to exist today. And all of this from a pun written 74 years ago by a guy who co-wrote a non-funny novel, with Uncle Milty, which I just bought off the internet and am totally going to read. This is why I love
1: old time radio.